Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. And welcome back to another Stabby Snippet. It's Jessica, and I am joined by my favorite ghoul friend, Tara. Hey, Spooksters. And today we're going to be talking about another missing persons case. This case actually came to us by one of our listeners. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a minute and how the story came to us and how grateful I am that the story did come to us. Mm-hmm. So this missing case is about Audrey Dameron. And I'm really, I don't know if the word is excited about doing this case, but I'm very excited about the opportunity to use our platform to bring attention to a case that may not be as known as it should be. Agreed. So thank you to our listener who brought this to our attention. I'll talk a little bit about her and what she's actually doing to help with this case a little later. Mm -hmm. So Aubrey Dameron, or as her nickname is known as Shorty, is an indigenous trans woman from Grove, Oklahoma. Grove is about 91-ish miles northeast of Tulsa, which is about an hour and a half, and it's about 195 miles northeast of Oklahoma City, so it's about a three-hour drive. Okay, gotcha. On March 9th, around 3.30 a.m., the 25-year-old Aubrey walked out of the house she shared with her mother and has not been confirmed seen since. What she was last seen wearing was a black miniskirt that hit about thigh length. Black pantyhose, black boots. I think they were like black heeled boots and a black shirt. So she's very monochromatic. One color. She has two tattoos. One is a turquoise symbol and the other one is the word shorty on her upper left arm. The symbol is on her back. According to Captain Gail Wells of the Delaware County Sheriff's Department, they got a warrant for Aubrey's Facebook page. And it looks like the last known kind of interaction she had was a Facebook message, I'm assuming from Messenger, at 3.42 a.m. And it pinged about 100 yards off of her mother and her home. Since this time, there has been zero social media activity. Her mother didn't report her missing until a couple of days, probably, you know, trying to make sure, like, you know, track down her own leads. So on March 11th, Aubrey was officially marked as a missing person. It has to be noted that in her story, Aubrey had a history of drug use. And according to a source close to Aubrey's family, because Aubrey was a trans woman, a woman of color, and had over 500 men as friends on Facebook, the police basically blamed her disappearance on her quote-unquote lifestyle. Captain Wells said because of her high-risk lifestyle, there are lots of possibilities about what happened or where she is. There's something to note here that there are a lot of inconsistencies in the terminology they in which they use to describe Aubrey. A lot of the documentation, they don't use the proper pronoun for her because she's trans. They'll call her a him or his, that type of thing. So that has to be noted because the other thing is, is 
When you think of a missing persons case, how long do you typically think it takes them to get a search party going? Like within a day, if that. Right. So she's been reported missing on March 11th, 2019. Her first search party was March 23rd. What? Yeah. Basically, from what I read and all the articles I read and everything will be on our sources page like normal. Mm hmm is that each county can kind of look at a missing persons case and assess the situation and decide what resources they want to use. Like they don't, I didn't realize that they don't have to be like, oh, a missing person. Like, you know, like I was thinking about this in the perspective of like, like Lacey Peterson, who was an at risk missing person because she had a medical condition because she was pregnant. Mm -hmm. But they labeled Aubrey's case as a high risk But they didn't do it because of the fact that she had like prescriptions that she needed to take. They did it because of her lifestyle. So it wasn't based off like a medical reasoning that they needed to get Aubrey back. They did it as like, oh, well, her lifestyle is high risk. So there might be some foul play involved. So that search party, like I said, on the 23rd, and it was a combination of like local sheriffs and like friends and family and the Oklahoma City Metro search and rescue team. And they went into the woods. There was like a heavy wooded area around Aubrey's house. And there were some ponds in that area as well that they went and looked through. So the law enforcement said, oh, you know, that night she'd been texting with various men and they kind of left it really vague. So it made it sound like she was kind of trampy. Oh, my God. I mean, people said that she was full of life and like a good time. And like even her Facebook thing says like here for the good time or something like that in a little description, which is fine. Like you can be that. And like if girl wants to get it, girl can get it. Like (laughs) don't judge her. Exactly. So the police left it super fucking vague. And the family was like, no, no, no. She was trying to get a ride to go somewhere. So she was like texting. Like, you know how like if you didn't have a car or something, you'd like text people like, hey, can you give me a ride? And they're like, no. And then you go to the next person because you're trying to go somewhere. Like that was the basis of it from what I've been reading and understand. Makes sense. Oh, something to note that during the search, they also found a sock that could possibly have blood on it. Possibly? Yeah, um, I don't know if they ever got it back. I couldn't find it. Because this isn't such a high-profile case, there's not, like, a ton on it. Mm-hmm. And so the inconsistencies with the reporting, like, what news outlets are willing to report. Got you, got you. Yeah. So according to Aubrey's aunt, the family feels that because of her personal decisions and her personal identity, that the police don't really think Aubrey's worth looking for. They're like, she had a drug problem, she's trans, and... I want to say this, like, I have family in Oklahoma. I don't think everyone in Oklahoma are redneck and hillbillies. Like, <laughs> there are some really amazing people who live in Oklahoma. But I grew up in an area that's not as accepting as well. Mm-hmm. Someone not understanding a situation or someone's identity. And instead of asking questions to kind of figure it out, they attack it. And so this is kind of what the police were, like, vaguely hinting at. Like, oh, well, she's trans. So this may be a hate crime. So they're still not going to look for her because it's a hate crime? That makes no fucking sense. Tara, you and I are on the same page. Like, I'm sorry. That what what fucking logic like that comes out of their mouth. And then that makes zero fucking sense. But okay, okay, policeman, you go right on about your day, I guess. I concur. According to Amnesty International, transgender women are twice as likely to experience physical violence, sexual violence, hate violence in public places than that of their side gendered peers. 
which that's huge. Like that means that if Tara and I were walking down the street and we had someone who is trans with us, they're twice as likely to get attacked than we are. That's the, in my mind is crazy. Mm. This is another fact that I got from the, and please don't at me because it's the name of a publication. I'm not saying a derogatory slur. I want to state that out front. It's called the Indian country today. It's a publication. I would not have called it that, just saying. But they had this fact, which is that Native American women are 10 times more likely to be murdered than non-Native American women. Like, that's crazy. Right. Oh. Yeah. And this has actually led to kind of like a coalition or a group that is MMIW, which stands for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. And they do marches and they raise money for scholarships so that indigenous girls can get out of like violence and that kind of cycle. So those facts like really hit me, like the fact that if you combine the fact that Aubrey is trans and she's an indigenous woman, like the likelihood of this not ending well, is like it's horrifying to me. And the whole time I was doing my research, I just felt I felt like I wanted to cry. Right. I haven't really been moved that much when doing this, but I have felt very connected. Mm-hmm. Not just because like one of our listeners is kind of involved and I'll tell you how they're involved in a moment. So there is a potential later sighting. I haven't got a date on that because everyone just says they someone thinks they may have saw her at a casino like in nearby, but I don't think they've released date and time, at least that I couldn't find, which is probably good because if it's something that the police are holding back to get people to confirm so that they can, you know, true up stories, that would that'd be probably be smart. Mm-hmm. So another one of the identifiers in this case that this is like foul play and this isn't just like, quote unquote, a party girl run off and doing her own thing. One, it's almost a year at this point. This is February and I think she would have come back by now. But Aubrey left all her prescriptions at home and she had had some surgeries in her transition process, but she hadn't fully transitioned. So she was still probably on like supplements and hormones. I mean, she was going to be on hormones for a while. I don't really know the process, so please don't at me. (laughs) I apologize. Stuff she needed daily. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Right. And the fact that like if she was going to run away to go party and do that kind of stuff, she would have taken that with her. Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned earlier, like I feel in this case, like Tara and I talk about this a lot. Like we don't feel like you should really at the police because they're doing your job. And they are providing a service. And in today's world, it's got to be a really hard decision to sign up to be a police officer. Like I think about just like the craziness, like living here in Sacramento, like in the last year, we've had like four cops killed. Two were women and they were young. It's crazy. But I will say that the lack of respect for this missing woman has me appalled. Like the fact that there's inconsistencies in how they describe her. Like I looked at a lot of the posters and a lot of the posters that the departments put out. I've read it called her dead name. I don't know if that's the correct term for like the name you had, like her birth name, essentially. I'm not going to say her birth name on here. I don't feel like it has a place. Like her name is Aubrey. Mm -hmm. I want to respect that. I get that it's technically her legal name is this other name, but that's not who she identifies as. And that upsets me (laughs) that the police are like, you know, and in their reports that they like have published, they will write when someone's describing her, they'll write him or he was last seen or this is what he was wearing or that kind of, I can't think of any him sentences right now for some reason. And a lot of the pictures that they chose were pictures that were 
of her looking a little bit more masculine. And I just felt like they were trying to really like be like, well, she's trans. So here's her being trans instead of being like, this woman is missing. Cause like I saw some beautiful photos of her online and I was like, why aren't people doing more to find this woman or at least find what out what happened to her? Right. Like I said, I want to say a special thank you to our listener, Mary, who brought this case to our attention. Mary has been in our sphere for a little bit because when we did the Osage murders, she gave us some insight on it as well, which was great. Mary's mother actually is the coordinator at the Osage Nation Domestic Violence Prevention and Family Support, which super kudos to Mary's mother. Like, that's got to be hard. Like, we talk about this type of stuff. I don't know if I could sit with a victim of that. So you are a very strong woman. So Aubrey's aunt actually reached out to Mary's mother. And they've actually become very close to this. In fact, Mary refers to Aubrey's Aunt Pam as Auntie Pam now. I'm like, that's really great. And Mary's mother has made it her her mission or her goal to find out what happened to Aubrey. And I fully support that. Absolutely. And that's why I definitely, when we got this, Tara and I both were like, we really want to give this a platform. I know it's been on a few other podcasts as well. I think it's been on Vanished and one other one that I can't remember right now. We can link them in the sources because Mary sent them to us. So if you guys want to listen, you can listen to them. Definitely. Like since these are our stabbies, they're not as long as our full episodes. So they might do like fuller episodes. But we really wanted to give a platform for this story because when I started reading the statistics about indigenous women and crimes, and there was one that she was like, she put in there of this woman named Emily and like the injustice towards this woman is like her murderer is got has gone free. Ugh. Yeah. Right. It makes me upset. Yeah. So big thank you to Mary and her mother for helping this family out and all the work you do. I do have a couple more little things before I give you the information on who you can contact if you know anything or have seen anything. So on March 12th, so the day after she went missing, Mm -hmm. Danita Robotham reportedly called Aubrey's ex-boyfriend, Jay Pearson, and said that Aubrey was being held against her will for drug money she owed. And that if Pearson and Danita could come up with the money, they would let her go. Or, and this is in the report, and this is like proof that this is how the police wrote it down. And if they didn't, then they would take him for a ride instead of take her for a ride. So there's that theory out there, which is one reason maybe the police believe that this has to do with her drug history. It doesn't make it any less important, though. No, it actually makes it more important because this would be two crimes in one. This would be catching people who are either had kidnapped or had injured or murdered a young woman. Or this would be a way to, like, capture drug dealers. Right. Come on. On November 21st of last year, um, they returned to one of the ponds off of 280 Road in Grove. And they took eight search dogs out there and they got several hits off a tarp that was in a shed. And they got several hits around the pond itself. So they drained the pond and they didn't find anything in it. So basically they're saying that this pond is kind of like the last known place they think that Aubrey was at. And I'm assuming that's where they found the sock. Yeah. So if you have any information on Aubrey since March 9th of 2019, please contact one of the following agencies. And of course, we'll put this information out for you guys. You can contact the Delaware County Sheriff's Department at 918-253-4000. 
2019-4531. And you can reference case number 2019-0302. Or you can contact the Cherokee Marshals at 918-207-3800. Again, I want to say thank you to Mary and her mother for the hard work that they're putting into this. And if you know something, let people know. Our thoughts and prayers are with this family during this time. Absolutely. So that's going to wrap it up for us this week. And we will be back on Monday for a regular episode. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.